I invite you to follow along uh, in your Bible as we read today from the Gospel of John, chapter 21. The passage that we're reading is a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ. So the disciples have seen Jesus a couple of times already. They know that he's risen. They have stopped doubting and fearing about that. But yet they do not have a, uh, a set schedule with Jesus. He seems to come and go and appear when he wants to, and, and they don't know what's going on. So here's what happened. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing out on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, Fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, Throw your net out on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped down for work. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. There were some fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you and we're just astounded at your goodness and your mercy for us as we celebrate this resurrection Easter. The passage we read from your word this morning is, is about what happens after the resurrection. And so... We're in that time period, along with the disciples. It's afterward. We know about Good Friday, and we know about Resurrection Sunday. We know that your son Jesus is our risen Lord. And Father, we pray that we would take this encounter we have read from God's Word, and Lord, that it would be used in our lives to just draw us closer. That we would be kinder, more loving, most of all, more like Jesus, closer to you. And Lord, if there's someone who doesn't know you, who's listening to this message, right now or later on today or in a few days or 
even months or years. If there's anybody who's listening to this message that doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would encounter you through this portion of your word that we're reading today. And God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lately, I've kind of had some flashbacks to childhood. If you're on social media at all, you've noticed that a lot of folks are reaching out and, and they're trying to give some some condolences to those who are high school or college seniors because they know all the normal trappings of graduation are not going to be happening. And so somehow that whole thing of of us, you know, trying to to help those folks who who are seniors, I've got two of them, by the way, to make them feel better, somehow that's kind of morphed and now everybody is putting throwback pictures from their graduation or their high school days years and years ago. And uh, I've had a lot of fun seeing all those uh, pictures. I haven't posted mine yet, but maybe I will. We'll see. But I've been thinking about old times. And when I read this story this week, preparing for this message, it threw me even a little further back. Because, see, growing up fishing uh, was one of the greatest things, most enjoyable things I ever did. And I had a lot of different places, a lot of different times I went fishing. Sometimes it'd be up with my grandpa in Simpson County, and we'd head out uh, to his pond across the cow field. And, and there was always this thrill because we didn't know, you know, when we got old enough or thought we were old enough to go without grandpa, we were still kind of worried about these cows and were they going to stampede on us. And then we got there. It was a snaky pond. There were snakes. There was turtles. There was everything. So there was a little bit of thrill mixed in, a little, a little bit of fear mixed in with the excitement. But um, had, had a lot of fun. Remember pulling the old Zebco 33 out and, and going to the pond and fishing. And not just at, at Grandpa's house, but I grew up also um, maybe a mile or so from the Chuticabuff River. I could walk or ride my bike down to the river. And so uh, earlier on, younger days, it, it, was, it was the ride and reel. Uh, when my cousin Paul, uh, when he and I got old enough, um, he got this little 12-foot aluminum boat. Man, we were big stuff. Now, at first, there were two paddles, but then we moved up to the big time because he got a three-horsepower. Okay, we were really doing well then, and we thought we were. We had a lot of fun on that river. But we'd go set trot lines, you know, check for um, catfish and other things, and really enjoyed that kind of fishing. But what really uh, grabbed my mind as, we read, as I read this passage about Jesus there on the beach, Jesus there at the Sea of Galilee, um, were the times that my older brother uh, took me out to the beach in Biloxi. And he would um, take me out and he showed me how to fish with a cast net. And he showed me how you, you, you got to be careful as you go out there. You don't make big steps because there's stingrays out there. And you do not want to step on a stingray. But you slide your feet very carefully so if there's one in front of you, you bump it and it floats off instead of sticking you. And I remember him teaching me how to throw and to cast that net. And we'd cast that net. And, and it would gather all kinds of things. But mo- what we were mostly looking for uh, was what we called in Biloxi, Biloxi bacon. And that is mullet. Now, some of you who aren't from the coast may have never had mullet. 
But mullet, there was tons of it, and we just had it all the time. And even when we didn't catch it, we had our next-door neighbors, the Catchots, who they, they did a lot of fishing, we did a lot of farming, and so we trade them our vegetables for their fish. And as a kid who didn't like his greens, that was a great trade, okay? I was always excited about getting the fish from the Catchots or getting them if we caught them ourselves. And I love this story about... Jesus and the disciples, because sometimes we think of the apostles as being people who had it all together. And maybe if they didn't have it all together before the resurrection of Jesus, then after the resurrection, well, then they certainly had it all together. And they had no uncertainty in their lives or doubts or fears the way we do. That's how we think. That, that's how we feel. But think about it. Again, they knew Jesus was alive. They knew he was the resurrected Lord. They had seen him, even doubting Thomas. He had seen and he had believed. And yet they were kind of in a quarantine state. Maybe just kind of sort of a little bit. They weren't afraid of a disease, but they were kind of concerned about the Jewish and Roman officials who still were not happy with Jesus and his followers. And so you would find them in houses, kind of quietly gathering from place to place, not really going out much in public, not being seen. They still didn't know. They knew Jesus was alive, but they still didn't know what the future held for them. And one day they kind of just got sick and tired of the quarantine. Some of you are feeling that right now. You are understanding. It was just they'd had enough time. And one of them, they weren't worried about the virus again, but said, May, well, we can get away from those folks that want to hurt us if we go fishing. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Everybody, all the rest of them, I'm going. Well, if you're going, I'm going. And before you know it, the disciples are out there, you know, not doing something big and religious and spiritual and all that. They're simply going fishing. And they get out there to fish, and they start at night, Apparently that was the best time in the Sea of Galilee, and they fish, and they fish, and they fish, and they haven't caught a thing. And then there's Jesus. All of a sudden they notice somebody, they're kind of at a distance, they can't really tell for sure, but somebody is on the beach, and they've got a fire, and they've got some bread, and they've got some baked fish, and what they cannot see, but they can probably smell as this fragrance wafts over to them in the boat. Man, somebody's got something good, and we're tired, and we're hungry, and that looks good. And this guy on the beach calls out and says, hey, caught anything? Again, they're kind of far off, and they don't know who it is, but, you know, uh, no, bad. we hadn't had any luck, man. I don't think they were worried about being loud and scaring the fish. They figured, you know, their chances were blown. They weren't catching anything. And then Jesus says, oh, oh, I know your problem. Your net's on the wrong side of the boat. Come on. All you got to do is flip it over to the right side. I can imagine what was going through the minds of these professional fishermen who knew all the sweet spots. Uh, all the right things to do. They'd fished all their lives. But for some reason, they went ahead and did it. 
And when they did, the Bible tells us that this boat was almost overwhelmed from all these fish, 153 huge fish. And for once, this was not a, quote, fisherman's tale. They really were humongous fish. They were straining the nets, and yet somehow they didn't break. And the disciples got to looking a little closer. Who is this? And the youngest one of them, the Bible says the disciple who Jesus loved, and and in the Gospel of John, most folks agree that's actually John himself, and he just doesn't want to name himself. And he was the youngest of all the apostles. So guess what? He had the best eyesight. He didn't need any specs or contacts. He could see, he, he, he squints and he says, guys, that's Jesus out there. That's him. And as soon as he says it, Peter's on go. Peter, Peter jumps in. But before he does this, he grabs his tunic because he'd stripped down out there. He grabs his outer garment and he sticks it on. Now, have you ever heard of anyone putting on more clothes to go uh, swimming? <laughs> this is kind of interesting, right? But he puts on more clothes. You know, Peter, I mean, he, this is the same guy who said, Lord, call me out to walk on the water. I mean, when he had an idea, he went for it. And so Peter's like, oh, give me an extra clothes. Okay, I'm jumping in. And there he was, fishing. I mean, quit, he stopped fishing and started swimming and heading towards Jesus. He gets there, and the boat gets there. They get close enough. They're still not real, real close, but it's, it's closer. And Jesus says, uh, want to join me? Bring some of those fish over. And they bring their fish, their catch, and they add it to Jesus' catch. And together they have a wonderful meal together. A wonderful time of there on the beach, cooking out, hanging out, just enjoying life together. And then after a while, Jesus gets to talking to Peter. He's got some unfinished business. And we'll mention that in a little bit later. But this story, for me, raises some questions. Raises some questions for me. And I believe it raises questions for every single one of us. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. The story presents some questions about how you and I relate to Jesus. The first one being, how, how open are you? To listening to Jesus. How open are you to listen to Jesus? Jesus is going to tell us some interesting and some difficult things uh, that we are supposed to, to do. Go back, rewind to that point in the story. Professional fishermen who fished all night. They were cranky. They were hangry, okay? This was not a good moment for them. And Jesus calls out and says, Oh yeah, cast that net on the other side of the boat. I'm going to tell you, I think they would have been tempted uh, to kind of say, What's that? Uh, The waves are really bad. (laughs) The wind is high. We're not sure that we're hearing you correctly. And, And we do this today. Don't deny it. We've all been there. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. You're breaking up. I, I, can't, I can't hear you. I'm going to have to let you go. <laughs> well, all of us have to decide. We have to question ourselves. How open are we to listening to Jesus? 
For some of you, that question is, how open are you to listening to him for the very first time? You're watching this service because it's Easter time and it's what a lot of folks do. And, and maybe you're at a family member's house and they're watching. Or maybe somebody tagged you in this video and said, hey, you watch this. But honestly, you don't have a connection to Jesus already. And, and the question for you is, how open are you to Jesus? How open are you to listening to him, to seeing if Jesus is who he says he is? Because Jesus is not afraid at all. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus said, consider the cost. Count the cost before you become a disciple. Jesus wants you to ask the hard questions. He invites you to come to him. But how willing are you to listen? Some of us are like uh, Thomas a little bit earlier in the chapter. In my earlier uh, sunrise service this morning, we talked on that passage, and there's a place where it says Jesus, uh, that the rest of the disciples had seen Jesus and Thomas Hatton, and I love, there's a verse there, he says, unless I see those spots in his hands and his feet and his side, unless I see all that, I'm not going to believe. In other words, he had decided. It wasn't just that he'd weighed all the evidence. He just had a predisposition to say, I don't want to believe. I can't believe. I've been too hurt. Life has been too hard. I can't even think that this might be real. And maybe some of you, that's where you are. But I want to encourage you this morning to be open to listening to Jesus. A second question is, how eager are you to get closer to Jesus? How eager are you to get closer to Jesus? I use the word eager on purpose. I, I thought about other words that I could use. How motivated are you or, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I know the word eager is not a word we use a lot. And if we do, it's maybe not positively. Oh, they're an eager beaver, you know. You know, we just, we're, we're kind of in a society where you're supposed to play it cool. You're supposed to not show that you're too interested or too into anything. But Jesus calls upon us to love him unashamedly, passionately. We are to serve the Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is the same God who would, by the same author, John, later in the book of Revelation, describe a church that said, you're neither hot nor cold and you make me sick. God cannot stand the lukewarm followers. I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you be come out and admit you're not for me than to try to walk the fence and be halfway. What are you doing? And yet so many believers live their life like that. They don't want to be ever accused of being fanatical. Now they'll be a fan, a big time fan. Whatever their hobbies are, especially if it's sports, Man, they'll go nuts, and they'll, be happy, they'll happily show you a video of how they went nuts. But we in our society, we're just kind of playing it cool a lot of times when it comes to Jesus. And what I love about Peter for all of his screw-ups, for all the times he put his foot in his mouth, all the times that he blundered, is he was passionate about Jesus, and he didn't care what anybody thought about it. If that meant taking the sword and going after people who are trying to arrest Jesus, if that meant jumping out on the water saying, hey, Jesus, call me to come to you, 
And even right here, you know, I, I think he decided I'm not going to try that walking on water thing again. But I want to get to Jesus. And without even thinking, reflex actions take over. Grab my coat, because I'm not sure what these guys are going to do to it. I don't trust them. Who knows what he was thinking. But he grabs it out of reflex, and he jumps in. He was 100 yards offshore, the Bible says. Now, that's a long way to swim, especially in a full set of clothes. It's a football field, right? And yet, he says, he's thinking nothing about how quickly can I get to Jesus? How, how fast? How, how can I do it? How can I draw closer to him? So I ask you this morning to ask yourself, not only how open are you to listening to Jesus, but how eager are you to get to him? What are you willing to do to get closer to God? You know, that is an unblockable goal. Almost everything else we have in life is blockable. My kids used to watch a, a show on Disney when they were younger. It was called Kim Possible. And this girl was the hero, right? She could do anything. Possible was in her name. But she had a best friend, and his name was Ron Stoppable. And poor old Ron, he, he, he couldn't do near as much. And, you know, in, in our lives, a lot of times we feel like Ron Stoppable. You know, why does every time I work on my car, it takes three times as long, or I got the wrong part, or why does this relationship not work out, or why does this financial issue not happen the way I want it to? I mean, we can be stopped in so many things. But the Bible tells us that no one can stop us from drawing closer to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 6, the Bible tells us that anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, being a Christian is not just believing, quote, in the man upstairs, that, oh, yes, I'm, I'm not an agnostic. I do believe there's a God out there somewhere. It's that we believe in a very specific God who has been revealed to us through Scripture. And this God draws close to us when we draw close to him. He follows us. He reaches out for us. He calls to us. And part of believing in the God who we love is believing the fact that he's not going to turn away from us. When we reach out to him, we will find him. He will reach out to us. He's there for us. Peter had already experienced that. Those moments in which he sank in the Sea of Galilee when he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the wind and the waves. He knew that he simply had to call on Jesus. He knew that Jesus might rebuke him. He might correct him. He might say, okay, here's a little lesson to be learned. But Jesus was never going to turn away. And so Peter was eager. He was passionate about getting to see Jesus. A third and final question I want us to consider this morning is how generous are you to share with Jesus? How generous are you to share with Jesus? And some of you are like, oh, I knew it was coming. The money talk. <laughs> Here it is. I'm going to hit it. Now, I'm not really talking about money at all. I mean, in our lives, that's a part of it, but it's only a small part of it. It is how much you take everything that God has given you, how much do you recognize that it's God and use it for his purposes? 
So here's the story. Let's, let's just replay it one more time. They fished all night. They caught nothing. Jesus said, oh, put it over there. They put the net over there. 153 whoppers they drag in. Jesus has some fish already going on the fire. He says, bring a few of yours and add them. And then we will eat together. Now, I find this fascinating. Could not the Son of God, who healed the lame, he made the blind to see, he made the deaf to hear, he had resurrected and overcome death and hell and the grave on Easter morning, could he not have had enough fish for all of them already ready there on the grill? Absolutely. He didn't have to let them catch 153 fish and bring them to shore. But this is what God does with us. God decides, not because he needs us, but because he loves us, God decides to include us in his work. And so God gives you talents and abilities and possessions and opportunities and desires, motivations. He gives you all sorts of things. And he says, here they are. I want you to make something of it. I, I, I'm going to call you to reach out in faith and follow me and work hard and do what I'm calling you to do in your life. But by the way, I'm going to ask for just a little bit of it back. I, I'm, I'm going to ask that you realize that those 153 fish didn't come from you and your amazing fishing ability. Those 153 fish came from what I gave you. So those fish, again, they're your, they translate to our talents, our business skill, our musical skill, our, our, our knowledge, our intellect, everything we have that we're often tempted to say, man, I'm a self-built man. I have made myself. Paul, later on, he says, what do you have that was not given to you? Literally, every single one of us has been given. You say, oh, but I work hard. Who gave you that ability to work and that desire to work? There is nothing that you and I have that did not ultimately come from God. Nothing good came from us. It first came from God. And Jesus could have had all the fish waiting. But he said, I'm going to include those guys in this. I'm going to let them have the catch of a lifetime. And they're going to get to take most of it home to their families. But I'm going to say bring a little bit of it over here and use it for the work that I am doing. So this morning, I hope you'll consider and ask yourselves those questions about the risen Lord. How open are you to listen to Jesus? If you don't already know him in a relationship... How open are you to exploring the possibility that maybe this stuff that people around the world, maybe it's true. Maybe God can love someone like you. Because guess what? We all have failures, flaws, sins, fears, and doubts. But none of that's anything compared to God. His grace, as we often sing in church, is greater than all our sins.
for believers. You're not off the hook on this one. God doesn't stop speaking to us the moment he calls us to salvation. He keeps on speaking. He keeps on calling. He keeps on instructing. He keeps on drawing us and including us in his work. How open are you, Christian, to listening to what Jesus has to say in your life? How eager are you to get closer to him? I'm going to hope and pray that most of us have started appreciating the opportunity to actually worship together more than we ever did before. And I am hoping and praying that how we have been affected, how we understand how vital our relationship is with God and with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that that doesn't just fade away the moment this crisis fades out. But it will long outlive coronavirus, that years and years later, when we don't even think about it very much, we will still be reminded about how important it is for us to worship together and then on our own to seek God, to search after him. Like the psalmist said, my soul longs for you, God, just like the deer pants for the water. That's how thirsty I am for you. Do you have that kind of thirst for Jesus? And then how generous are you to share with him? How much of the stuff you have? The keys to the car that are in your pocket, the clothes that you wear, the abilities that you have. How much have you said, well, that's my stuff, Jesus, and I'll share with you a little bit sometimes because I'm really nice that way. Or have you realized that everything you have is from him? And that he can call in that loan, if you want to call it that. He can call in that favor. He can call in that anytime he wants. And he's well within his rights. And he's actually blessing you when he calls it in. Because he's giving you the opportunity to take part in his work. The Bible tells us the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. There's not a single thing that he doesn't own. I love this story. Jesus didn't have this encounter with these handful of disciples in the temple or in the synagogue or even in the upper room. He had it on the beach with a bunch of crusty, tired, and confused fishermen. It reminds us that these questions that we ask ourselves today are not really about what you sing or say about Jesus one or two hours a week on Sunday. Instead, they're about your heart towards and your relationship with Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Do you listen? Do you draw close? Do you share your life with him so that he may share himself with others through you? Breakfast on the beach reminds us that our love for Jesus is not just some religious ritual, but it's a relationship with God that is with us whenever and wherever we are. And I want to invite you today to ask yourselves those questions. And once you honor your honor, once you answer yourself honestly. What will you do about it? If you're not as open as you should be, 
I hope you'll choose and commit to be more open. If you're not as eager to be close to Jesus as you once were, I hope you'll come to God and say, God, renew my passion. I I don't want you enough, but I want to want you enough. God, I want to draw closer to you. If you're an unbeliever, if you've never drawn close to Jesus before, if you've never trusted in him, today can be that day that you enter into God's family by simply to say, saying, Lord, I believe. God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I've messed up, but you're my gracious Savior. You died for me. Lord, I believe in you. And you simply come to him. And, and you know, God loves you enough to save you despite all your failures and flaws and sins. That's so true. But it's also true that he loves you too much to leave you that way. God desires for you to have life and have it abundantly, to grow and draw closer to him, not just during religious hours, but during every hour. Would you pray with me? God, I come to you, and Lord, I just am amazed by the kind of God you are. You are not confined, your word tells us, to to temples made with human hands. Lord, you not only made the materials that went into the temple, you made the earth that the temple sit on. God, it's all about you. And you could do anything and everything without us. And yet, God, you choose to involve us, to call to us, to draw us to you, to speak to us because you love us. So I pray today that we would listen to your voice, that we would seek your face. And God, that we would open our arms to you just as you have opened yours to us. Help us now, as we enter in this, this time of response, not only singing and listening, but also, and most importantly, doing business with you. Father God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.